You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. Bible, you can turn to Romans, Romans chapter 5. I must say, I'm so glad to be with you guys this morning. I have been amazed by God's grace in bringing me to this church. I'm amazed by God's grace that I am given the privilege of preaching the word to you this morning. I was amazed by the blessing of being at T4G this last week, and I was struck by about 30 of us from this church went to a conference, T4G conference, and what amazed me was the highlight of the conference for me was not the teaching, though it was phenomenal. The highlight of the conference was after the teaching, we gathered as a local church And we discussed what we had learned. And Eric and the other elders poured into us, answering any questions that we had about the teaching. And we discussed how we could apply that teaching of God's word to be a blessing to this church. And I just thought, wow, what amazing elders and pastors we have at this church who care for you. And I just want to encourage you. This morning, um, these leaders love you, and I hope you feel that. Now, this morning, I want to pray before I open up Romans 5, because I'm going to confess to you this text intimidates me. God's word and our God that we serve is greater than I can comprehend. And so, as I was even this week looking at this text, I've looked at it before, it intimidates me. But God is able to help us with that. So let's go in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning, and I just submit to you, you are too big. You are too great for us to comprehend all that you are. And Lord, I pray that you would make your word and your gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ who saves sinners, clear this morning. And the truth of this text, that it would be a blessing to us. That it would have an impact on us. Lord, that it would have an effect on us. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning who are Christians. That they might be encouraged by this text and live in light of these wonderful truths. Of all these things that we're looking at this morning, we recognize are accomplished because not of our works, but because of the work of another, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. And Lord, I pray for the non-Christian this morning, who in the beginning of this message might not think that this message applies to them, but it does. Lord, I pray for the non-Christian here this morning, for those who might be here just wanting to hear from your word who you are, Lord, that you would speak loud and clear to them through your word. Amen. 
going to start off with a question, and you can write down the answer for yourself, and you can talk about it later with one another if you want something to talk about. What is the least favorite piece of workout equipment that you have laid foot on? Go ahead, write it down. I'm going to tell you what mine is. It is the stair stepper. Amen. That one is rough. And I remember the last time I stood on the stair stepper. I remember it because I was studying this text and I needed to decompress. And so I went on the stair stepper and I remember thinking, they're like trying to trick me. Because on the stair stepper, it's like this big screen they put in front of you. And somehow they think that because they put like this virtual interactive screen in front of you, that somehow, some way, this is going to make your body feel better. That is like a psychological operation that it tries to do as you're on the machine. It tries to trick your mind into thinking that you're not actually putting in all the effort that you think you're putting into the machine. The reality is the screen is there and you, though it might play a little bit of a trick on your mind, you're putting in the same amount of effort onto that machine. And I was aware of that. And when I was on the machine, I was struck by the fact that what it was trying to show me as I was on the stair stepper, you know, you're kind of climbing, it was trying to assimilate uh, Verna Falls in California. I've been there. I remember going on Verna Falls in California because my son in the front row when he was two, three years old was on my back when I was making my way up Verna Falls in California. And it was at this time that I was on this and I know this, this hike was difficult. It says it was moderate difficulty. And I remember this because it's 6.7 miles and it's the beginning is actually pretty easy, but then you come to a little marker, and it has a little sign. It says 500 steps. They're not steps. They're like boulders. It's like three steps in one, and there's 500 of them. And at first, you think, oh, because it looks so beautiful, this will be easy. It is not easy. It's the only time I've gone up and then back down, and going down was harder than going up, only because by the time I made it to the top, my legs had given out. And so when I was going down the mountain, I was going down the steps, I, I thought I was going to just like fall down 500 steps, because I could hardly go down. It was more difficult to make my way down this thing than to make my way up. And I was on the stair stepper, and I remember this because it made me a little frustrated. I was on it for 12 minutes. It took me two hours to get to the top of Verna Falls. And in 12 minutes, somehow, I found myself at the top of Verna Falls. What do I do? I get off the machine. This thing is rigged. This is ridiculous. Someone's going to think that they can get on this machine and then also go to Verna Falls and make, the, make their way to the top in 12 minutes. So my frustration was with the machine, as you can tell with this hike, was it's like minimal effort versus like complete exhaustion. I was completely exhausted when I went up Verna Falls, but then on the machine, it's 12 minutes. That's not right. That is wrong. It takes a lot more effort to get to the top. But it was right then I was reminded of Romans 5, about what Christ had accomplished for me and about what 
Christ has accomplished for me and the work that he's accomplished, I get all the benefits from the work of Christ, but I didn't do anything to to earn that. It's just a gift. I get all the benefits of the work of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at all the benefits from Romans 5 that's been accomplished through the work of Christ. And the reason why I chose this passage for us this morning is last week we looked at the resurrection. Last week we looked at the finished work of Christ on the cross who saves sinners by his blood and resurrection. It's finished. It is done. And just in case some of us are coming away from Easter last week and asking the question, so what? Romans 5 answers that for us. So if you would, look with me to Romans 5. We're going to be looking at the so what to justification. It says, therefore, since we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This morning for us, Paul highlights four blessings gifted to us and accomplished through the work of Christ. These are four blessings. These are benefits. One commentator calls these blissful consequences of the work of Christ. These are the things that we get because of the work that Christ accomplished for us. And this is what the believer has. And so we're going to be looking at these four blessings. And these are just four words that come from this text. And they build on one another. The first one is peace. The first blessing I want to point out to you is in that word peace, mentioned in verse 1. It begs the question, though, what is peace? Some of us might think visually, and so you might think of peace as like stillness, calmness. It's when you go to the beach and you thought there was a riptide, but it's dead calm. Like the calm before the storm, and you're wondering, okay, what's coming next? But it's peaceful. When you're there and it's still and the water looks like glass. Uh, Others of you are parents and maybe it's not the visual uh, calmness (laughs) that speaks to you. Uh, Peace for parents is often when there's quietness 
That doesn't normally happen though, right? Until they go to bed. That's why God gave us sleep because we need sanity. And parents get sanity when our kids are at sleep sometimes. We like peace and quiet. But I don't want us to think about this as peace and quiet or stillness or calmness. The peace in the text is different. This is peace as opposed to war. This is the idea in the text that we are at war against God because of our sin. We're hostile to God. We're his enemies. We're sinners. We're ungodly. He is holy and righteous and we are not. And so we are naturally by nature against him. And so the peace that he's talking about here, the blessing that has been given to us, what Paul's describing here is the peace is not so much subjective, but it is an objective reality. It is an objective fact. It's a peace that is a fact, not a feeling in this text. What Paul had in mind is that we're no longer enemies of God because of the work of Christ. He has restored that relationship to God. We're no longer enemies. We're reconciled. It says we're reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. This isn't a feeling. This is an objective fact. We're not hostile. We're not enemies. We have peace with God. And this peace has given us access it's given us access to Him through faith. Access is a wonderful thing. Um, I love going to sporting events. I'm sure there's many of you here who do as well. Um, I've had the privilege of going to several events, basketball, soccer, hockey, football. But I, there was one event that I got to go to where I had special access. It was the Indy 500. And I had tickets, too, given to me by my father because he loved me. And they were given to him. <laughs> we could not afford these tickets. They were Tag Heuer Suite tickets to the Indy 500. Tag Heuer is a watch line, and they are the official timekeepers for the Indy 500. They keep the time for all the Indy cars. The tickets I had were tickets to the Tag Heuer suite, but I had access passes to all sorts of things. I had access to the suite itself, which was one of the best suites that exist at the Indy 500, right next to the uh, timekeeper station, the Tag Heuer's timekeeper station, which I had access to. I had access to the ground level where the race cars were. I had access to a private area above to have special viewing. I had access to a suite that was uh, sound sensitive, so you didn't have to have the earplugs in when the race cars were going on. So I had a special suite that had, was built so that it was soundproof and you could watch the screens or watch the race. And of course, there you have all the food you can imagine. It was special. It was sweet. It was amazing. But guess what? It faded fast. And when we have this access to these sporting events and things that we've gone to, the glory in the moment is wonderful and awesome and it was special, but the glory fades fast. The access to God is not only is it great and unfathomable, but it is permanent access to Him. 
Faith has given us access to something far greater than any glory that fades. It is eternal and forever the glory of God. And we've been given access to Him, access to His Word that we ought to take advantage of, access to Him in prayer. That has all been because we have been given peace with God, access through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, in His work, not ours. This is incredible. That is awesome. This is amazing. And look at the text. How do we get this access? How did this access come to us? Look at verse 9. Now we have been justified by His blood. And it emphasizes the blood that was shed for us. It emphasizes that He Himself bore the wrath of God so that we could be saved from the wrath of God. It emphasizes we were enemies, but He made us right with God through His life, death, and resurrection on the cross. Paul's reminding us you cannot purchase this kind of access. You cannot earn this access. It is a gift of God. Access we should marvel at. Access that gives us peace with God. And I recognize there might be some of you here this morning and you are ever mindful that you are not at peace with God because you are still holding on to your sin. You have not laid it at the feet of the cross. And I would urge you to do that this morning and I would urge you to continue to look at this text as he is seeking to compel you to come to him and lay it down. The burden of our sin that is on our backs is too great to bear. There is peace that can be made through Jesus Christ. This access is not based on our works. And this is what makes Christianity distinct from all other religions. It is not by works. It is by faith in the work of another Jesus Christ. So the first blessing to the believer is peace with God based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Another blessing that we see here, look at the text. It says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but there's a contrast here. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, let me just kind of explain what's going on here. This is the section on joy. First we started with peace, now we're entering into the subject of joy. This is another blessing gifted to the believer, but it's twofold. There is a future aspect to the joy we have in Christ. There is also a present aspect to it. And we're not going to be able to fully engage into all of that at length, but within the text here, this first part, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, speaks very much towards the future. And in fact, Romans 5 on talks a lot about the assurance of the glory to come and our future hope in Christ. And so this future aspect here points us to the glory that awaits us when we see Him, when He comes again. And if you would, you can look at this screen, look at 1 John 3 and verse 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. 
Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I love this. The idea in this text is that when we see him, when finally one day when Christ returns again and we behold him, we will become like him. This points to the future day when Christ returns and we're going to reflect and rejoice in who he is and in his essence and in his glory and we get to be with him. And so there's a joy in the Christian of what awaits us. Where awaits us is presence with God and enjoying his goodness. What we also see in this text is that there's a present aspect unpackaged for us that also produces a joy. And this is joy in the midst of suffering. Suffering is not typically something we rejoice in. Something I rejoice in are things that are sweet, like ice cream. And I love something that took place in my childhood once a year with ice cream. And I definitely rejoiced in this because once a year, my grandfather would make chocolate chip, chocolate chip spearmint ice cream. Peppermint, really. What he would do, though, is he would go to his backyard, he would gather all the leaves, and he would put them you know, in the mortar and pestle, and he would grind them with a lot of pressure. The only thing that made the ice cream good was if this thing happened. But it took a lot of work. It took a lot of pressure because he would have to grind the leaves until there would just be this oil that could be poured into the ice cream and give it the flavor. So it's not just chocolate chip ice cream. It's chocolate chip peppermint ice cream with the oils that would just pervade all of it. It would encompass it and make it good. And it's in that same kind of fashion that comes from intense pressure and the hardships that come into our lives of suffering, of trials, of difficulties that come. It's that pressure that produces something good. And so when we talk about there's joy in the midst, in the present of suffering, I'm not saying that you're to rejoice in the pain that comes from the pressure But I'm saying that from that pressure, it's producing fruit in us of endurance, of character, of hope, hope that lasts, endurance that helps us on to the end to finish the race well. This is the idea that he has in the text. Don't misunderstand me though. This is not saying to rejoice in the pain and suffering It is not saying to pray for suffering. It is saying that when it comes, and it does, we can rejoice. Good things come from suffering. Great things came from the sufferings of Christ. Be reminded of that when you suffer. It was the suffering of Christ that made all these blessings possible. And without that... It would not be finished. We would not have peace with God. We could not have joy. We could not have hope. We could not have His love. It was suffering that made that possible. Suffering is hard. It's pressure on our lives. It feels uncomfortable. But God is wanting us to know He produces good in that for those who trust in Him. Look at verse 5. It says, and hope does not put us to shame. 
Hope does not put us to shame. This is hope, the opposite of hope is uncertainty or doubt that comes. Hope is certainty in what will come. Hope is certainty that is not yet realized. That's one way in which it could be defined. A certainty not yet realized. It's not yet happened, but we can be certain of it. It is not wishful thinking. You might think that you're going to win the lottery. So you buy a ticket. Chances are not good. Okay, just saying. You have probably a better chance of getting struck by lightning than by purchasing a lottery ticket. My son sometimes sees these billboards. Dad, why don't you take a shot at it? (laughs) That is wishful thinking. (laughs) We've talked about that. And that is not hope. That is not what our hope in Christ is like. Our hope in Christ is certain because the work that he's done is already completed. It is already finished. It is already accomplished so we can be certain of it. Our hope in the future and hope of what he's producing in us now. It will not put us to shame. It is not misguided. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because faith becomes sight, hope becomes realized, and love lasts forever. Do you realize in Romans he has waited five chapters to share with us about the love of God? Five chapters. It is not until this time where he breaks the silence about the love of God. And why does he wait so long? Why does he wait this long to talk to us about the love of God? I think it's only when we, the only way we can appreciate the love of God, though, is when we understand we are not at peace with God. And so in Romans, he has been building up. I mean, Paul has said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that saves. We need to recognize that this gospel, which is God's gospel, of his gift of grace to us, accomplished through his work of his son on our behalf, We have to understand, though, that we were naturally, by nature, against God, deserving of His wrath. It's only when we come to realize our sin, though, and our need for peace that the love of God becomes all the more beautiful. And we begin to ask the question, who does God love? And I love this text, because if it weren't for these words to describe the love of God, I would not have any confidence that I could be loved by Him. But it is in this text it gives us a beautiful picture, a beautiful description of His love demonstrated. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for who? The ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies. We were reconciled to God. 
by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have now received reconciliation. I love how the love of God and reconciliation come together. And did you catch the description here of who he loves? He loves the weak. Maybe your translation says the powerless, those unable to save themselves, those unable to come to him, those who are spiritually dead and lifeless. He loved the ungodly, it says. Those who are not righteous, those who are not good. Those who are disobedient, those who are undeserving. That is what is emphasized here. We don't deserve this love, but this love is uniquely tailored for the undeserved. Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse, verse 10 and 13. Sorry, chapter 9, 10 and 13 says, And Jesus was reclining at the table in the house. Behold, it says, many tax collectors and sinners came. And they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Look at what he says. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came to call, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is why he came. This was the purpose of his coming. This is the blessings that the Christian gets to enjoy. The peace, the joy, the hope, and the love of God. He's been silent, and he has broken the silence. And he has described now the love of God, accomplished through Jesus Christ, and demonstrated by his blood, his death, his resurrection. This love that is described in this text, though, is not just something that we're to know. I don't want you to come away going, I'm good because I know of this. As if somehow the love of God is something that is just about your intellectual knowledge. That is not what the text talks about. If you look at verse 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. This isn't just intellectual. This is something that God does. How does this love get into our hearts? How has this love been poured into our hearts? Look what the text says. Through the Holy Spirit. This comes as a gift from the Holy Spirit. This is the divine act of God of pouring out His love to you. And if you're here this morning and you have never pursued a relationship with God, I pray that this would be a text that you would see His love demonstrated for you and you would pursue Him. 
And I pray that he would do a work in you. The Bible is so clear. He wants us to come to him. He says, come. His burden. Our burden is heavy, but what he gives us is light. Why? Because he accomplished it for us on the cross. It's finished. The work is done. And our faith and our trust, when we place it in him, when we place our faith and trust in him, we can experience forgiveness and reconciliation. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May God draw you nearer to Him through His Word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.